So good to be with you this morning. Hope you're all enjoying the summer. But let's pray before we start today. Heavenly Father, good morning. I trust your presence is here as we worship you. Lord, would you, um, would you speak through me this morning that I may glorify your name, edify your church, Father, near and far. For those in the room and those that are following along online, Lord, your spirit is boundless and we are connected together by your spirit. Dear God, meet with us today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, and uh, it's definitely good to be with you this morning. I hope you've all been enjoying the summer so far. It's almost over. Um, my kids go back to school pretty soon in a few weeks, so um, it's the waning days of summer. And when you think about summer, uh, you might think about school being out, warmer weather, if you're not from SF, uh, summer camps and other fun activities. Um, by the way, I'm from SF, I grew up here, and uh, I just got used to the cold summers. And first day of school, the sun would be out. Uh, so that's, that's growing up in the Bay Area, or in San Francisco anyway. But one of the things I really look forward to are the blockbuster summer movies. Uh, it's, you know, I think that there's always movies coming out every summer, unless it's a COVID year, like the past two years, and theaters have been shut down. So I've been really excited to have theaters back open. Um, and if I'm really looking forward to that particular movie, I try to go see it with my family um, in the first few weeks, when, uh, if not the first few weeks, uh, maybe even the opening weekend, uh, when it's on the biggest screen and the best surround sound. So if you caught me at the IMAX theater earlier this spring for the Batman, um, that was me with my family. I'm a huge um, Batman fan. And we usually, as, uh, we go see movies together as a family, and we love talking about uh, the movie afterwards. Well, I love talking about the movie afterwards. <laughs> uh, you can ask my wife and my boys if they like to talk about it with me afterwards. But usually it starts right after we walk out of the theater and we're walking back to the car and I start asking them. Uh, of course, you know, it's like thumbs up or thumbs down or how many stars you may give it. And, um, but if it goes beyond that, I ask them, like, what themes did you observe in this movie? Um, you know, not how many explosions there were, but um, what, what themes were they, did you notice in this movie? And um, what messages was the director and the writer trying to say? What were they trying to convey to us? And why? Um, you've heard the Gospel of Mark many times, and it's, it's been compared to an action movie. It, it, things move very quickly through, through uh, the book of Mark, almost at the movie of Mark. But let's look at Mark today, paying attention to the themes and message he's trying to convey in his gospel telling. And today it's gonna to be a bit of a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, if you're familiar with Christopher Nolan, I'm a huge fan of his movies. And um, we're gonna open with a, with a scene uh, from somewhere later in the movie, so to speak. Um, but open with me today in Mark 8, 22 to 26. And this is the story of Jesus healing the blind man. We will start there, and then we're gonna rewind and, re and rejoin Mark's narrative from earlier in the book which will help us to understand the healing of the blind man in the larger context of the book of Mark. So follow along as I read Mark 8, 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. All right. Uh, five verses, pretty straightforward it seems, right? Uh, Jesus healed a blind man. Uh, but you might be wondering about some things here. Like, probably first and foremost is, why did Jesus spit in the blind man's eyes to heal him? The people that brought him, likely his friends or family uh, from the village, brought him to Jesus and begged him to touch him. They begged him to touch him. Imagine the reaction when Jesus spat in their friend's eyes. Another question you may be wondering is, why did Jesus heal in stages? Was it a lack of faith on the part of the blind man? Or a lack of faith in the people that brought him? Or maybe it's like a superhero movie and Jesus just was depowered that day. If, if you're a glass half full kind of person, you're probably thinking, not bad, Jesus. He went from completely blind to seeing us walking as trees. If you're a glass half full kind of, uh, a half, half empty kind of person, you're thinking, this Jesus isn't all that. Is this the same guy I've been hearing about? To understand this miracle and its, its significance, we need to understand the context and how it fits in with the larger narrative of the Gospel of Mark. So let's rewind to earlier in the book of Mark and pay special attention to Jesus' interactions with the disciples. As I mentioned earlier, like watching a movie, pay attention to the themes and what is Mark trying to convey. In a study of the book of Mark, we are reaching the midpoint where Mark has been answering the question, who is Jesus? The second half of his book, Mark's focus is what kind of Messiah is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? So far, Jesus has been around the Sea of Galilee teaching and healing, but then soon, in fact, next week, we're going to turn, and then Jesus is going to turn his face towards Jerusalem, away from the Sea of Galilee. So who is Jesus? Mark tells us from the very beginning, in Mark 1.1, in the very first verse, like a thesis statement, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Later in the same chapter at Jesus' baptism, you are my son, the Father says, in you I am well pleased. All right, so in the very first chapter, who is Jesus? The question is answered by, for us, the reader. But what about for those that heard Jesus' teaching and witnessed his miracles? In the first eight chapters of Mark, Jesus is in Galilee, teaching and healing around the sea. Crowds are coming near to, near to him to hear him teach or to be healed by him. Some of them became his followers. Some of them in the crowd were Pharisees that were here scouting out who Jesus is. In Mark 3, Jesus appoints 12 disciples. And in chapter 3, verse 14, it says that Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Over the first few chapters of Mark, Jesus calls some of those to follow him around the Sea of Galilee as he taught and healed. Shortly after, Jesus teaches a series of parables in Mark 4, the parable of the sower, the growing seed, and the mustard seed. But pay attention to how Jesus interacts with his disciples in Mark 4, 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, referring to the crowd that was following him, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus taught the crowds in parables, 
But when he was with his disciples alone, he explained everything. This is like watching a movie that you really liked, you know, and you bought the DVD at home, but you watch it with the, the director's commentary turned on. You get to understand the decisions he made and why they choose to shoot a scene that way or to craft a narrative a certain way. The disciples had this, this advantage of being with Jesus and having these parables explained to them. So they should have been tracking with what Jesus was teaching since he was explaining the parables. Let's keep going. After these parables, Jesus and the disciples take a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It suddenly becomes extremely windy and the waves begin to fill the boat with water. Teacher, they cry, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, of course, miraculously calms the storm. In Mark 4, he says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus being Jesus and knowing what is in their hearts calls them out, why are you so afraid? The Greek word for afraid literally means cowardly fear. And terrified, the word terrified here means in awe. The disciples were in awe of Jesus. But they asked each other, who is this? The disciples didn't understand. They didn't yet fully understand who Jesus is. In Mark 5, Jesus performs a series of healings, casting out the lesion of impure spirits from a man into the pigs, healing a woman's internal bleeding when she touches his cloak, and raising a synagogue leader's daughter from the dead. So lots of teaching, lots of healing. Jesus and the disciples are doing a lot of ministry. Then, chapter 6, Jesus they want to get away for some quiet time with disciples. But the crowd runs ahead of their boat and meets them. And there we have the story of the, teach, of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus having compassion on the crowd. He feeds them miraculously. They still didn't have any quiet time, so Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him by boat while he goes up to the mountainside to pray. By the time Jesus finishes praying, and he's back at the shore, the disciples' boat is in the middle of the lake. No problem, right? He'll just walk on water and catch up. And there was even a wind that was blowing against the boat. But Jesus is about to pass them. So let's pick it up in Mark 6, verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This story is remarkably similar to the earlier miracle where Jesus calms the storm. Both times, the disciples were afraid. Both times they were amazed by Jesus. Last time when they got caught in the storm, they thought they were going to die. Jesus asked why they are so afraid. Remember? Cowardly fear. This time Jesus is walking on water, but the disciples think he's a ghost. But Jesus responds to them in a different way. He urges them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. In what were they to take courage? In Jesus. 
Jesus says, it is I. It is I. Commentators think when Jesus says, it is I, it's a reference to God referring to himself. I am who I am in the Old Testament. They were to take courage in Jesus. It is I. If they truly knew, knew who Jesus was, they would have courage and not be afraid. But what happened? Was it foggy on the lake so they couldn't see Jesus clearly? It doesn't say that. It's kind of funny because the Greek word for ghost here is phantasma. It literally means a water phantom. They mistook Jesus for a water phantom on the lake. But that's not it. Mark tells us in verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was not just to feed the 5,000. It was meant as a pointer to Jesus' true identity, Son of God, the Messiah. When you have some time and go back to read any of these miracles, Mark usually records that the witnesses of the miracle are astonished. But with the feeding of the 5,000, Mark does not record any astonishment. But, and we see why they were not astonished, for they had not understood about the loaves. Our scripture from last Sunday in Mark 8, Jesus and the disciples are in a similar situation. Jesus teaching a multitude of people, this time 4,000 men. Again, Jesus has compassion on the people, for they had nowhere to get food, and miraculously he feeds them. Remember the Pharisees are mixed in with the crowd at this, at this miracle, at many of the miracles and the teachings, and they asked Jesus for a sign from heaven. In asking for a sign, they weren't asking for a show of power or a miracle. What they were actually asking Jesus was to show proof that his actions were authorized by God. But Jesus says no. He refuses to provide a sign, and he and the disciples get back into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. So, so far, they've had two boat trips. The first one, Jesus calms the storm, and the second one, Jesus walks on water. And just a little aside, uh, you can continue praying for our youth leaders and high schoolers that are right here with us today. They're setting off for their Lake Shasta houseboating trip uh, tomorrow morning. So there must be something, right, Melissa, about boat trips and discipleship. <laughs> Anyways, Jesus fed the 4,000. The Pharisees asked him for a sign. Jesus said, nope, and gets back into the boat and with his disciples. A third boat trip. Let's pick it up in Mark 8, 14. In Mark 8, 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five, five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered seven. 
he said to them, do you still not understand? Interesting, isn't it? Nothing miraculous this time out on the water. No calming the storm, no walking on water. Jesus warns his disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees as they had just asked him for a sign of God's authorization. Yeast was a common Jewish metaphor for an invisible and pervasive influence. Jesus refers to yeast as a corrupting influence of unbelief seen in the Pharisees and King Herod. From these stories I've shared this morning, we can see the disciples don't get who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus is warning them not to be like the Pharisees who completely do not get who he is. The disciples completely misunderstand what Jesus was trying to tell them. They heard the word yeast, and they think that Jesus is referring to their bread shortage. Now, I find this really funny because this feels like, uh, you know, when my family gets in the, in the car for a road trip, and like, did you remember this? Did you remember that? And the disciples say, oh, we only have one loaf of bread. And um, this is really all funny to me because I feel like Jesus goes into dad mode here and in the boat. Um, you know, kind of like, are we there yet? We're almost there. Uh, but he sounds like me when I'm having a difficult conversation with my sons, <laughs> one or both of them. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many pieces did you pick up? Do you still not understand? I don't think anywhere else in the Gospels do you find Jesus ask eight questions in rapid-fire succession. I picture Jesus completely exasperated here. Jesus was aware of their discussion and rebuked them, not because they didn't understand his warning about the Pharisee and the yeast, but because they didn't understand the meaning of his presence. Why were they worried about not having brought enough bread? There's 13 of them in the boat with one loaf of bread. If Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, could feed 5,000 and then 4,000, wouldn't he be able to feed 13 men with one loaf of bread? And remember, the writer, the 4,000 and 5,000 is the men that were there listening to Jesus teach. It was customary for the women and the children to eat separately, so they weren't included in this count. So likely it was many, many more that Jesus miraculously fed. Jesus is saying, do you not get who I am? Do you not remember what I've done? They've been with Jesus listening to his teachings, having parables explained to them, and witnessing his miracles. Yet they still don't fully understand who Jesus was. Do you see what Mark has been getting at with Jesus and the disciples? The disciples struggled with a persistent lack of spiritual understanding of who Jesus is, despite being in his presence and witnessing his teaching and miracles. Immediately following comes our passage for today, Mark 8, 22 to 26. And by now, I hope it's abundantly clear what's going on, what's really going on in this passage. Let me read it again, Mark 8, 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. 
he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, do not even go into the village. Now, if you think back to a little earlier, what were you thinking when we first read this passage together? Can it be any clearer now what this passage is talking about? Maybe it's similar to what I thought when Dave gave me this passage. I thought, all right, five verses, not a lot of work here, or not a lot to work with here, but seems pretty straightforward. Jesus heals the blind man. But this story is an emphatic reminder and a metaphor for the disciples' lack of understanding who Jesus is. Sight and hearing are metaphors for understanding. In fact, this story, the healing of the blind man, is a parallel miracle to the healing of the deaf and mute man that we talked about two Sundays ago. Now, I'm sorry, I might disappoint you here. I don't know why Jesus spat in his eye. <laughs> we'll have to ask him when we get to heaven. But in the healing of the deaf and mute man, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears, which I found really odd. Because what, when do you put your fingers in your ears? When it's too loud, right? Uh, when, when you're in a noisy place or the music's too loud somewhere, not here at church, but it's too loud and you put your fingers in so you, um, you know, you, to, to, to mute the sound a bit. Similarly, Jesus spit in the blind man's eyes. But conventional thinking tells us that that isn't conducive to helping someone see. In both instances, Jesus heals in a manner that normally would not aid in the healing. So that's all I got on that. <laughs> all right. I do believe this healing was in two stages to reflect the disciples' gradual and imperfect understanding of who Jesus is. The disciples are somewhere in this first stage where Jesus spits in the man's eyes. They've decided to follow Jesus, to be his disciples. Jesus even sent them out to cast out demons, remember? But they still didn't fully understand who Jesus is. Now, it's a little spoiler alert, right? The disciples do eventually understand who Jesus is. So what? What does this mean to us today as disciples of Jesus? First, let's consider where we might be in our seeing and hearing journey with Jesus. As you read your Bibles and see Jesus, do you really understand who he is? It's easy to, fun, to make fun of the disciples. Remember, the feeding of the 5,000 and then the 4,000? The 4,000 was a repeat miracle because the disciples didn't get it the first time. And they still didn't get it after the repeat. We have the benefit of reading and hearing these stories so many times, and for some of us, it's been our entire lives since the Sunday school days. And if I honestly put myself in the sandals of the 12, I shouldn't laugh at them, right? I for sure would have struggled as mightily as they did. But consider, where are you in your understanding of Jesus? Second, what might be blinding you in seeing who Jesus really is and what he is doing? The man in Bethsaida was physically blind. The disciples were spiritually blind, but their eyes were beginning to be opened. In the passage following this one, Jesus makes the disciples 
asks the disciples who they say that he is, and Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Even worse off were the Pharisees, who were holding fast to their traditions. They didn't want to see nor hear. They asked for signs to prove Jesus was, the, was authorized by God. But in fact, they were looking for any reasons to not believe Jesus is the Messiah. What could be blinding you? What yeast of unbelief or doubt might be there in your life? Is there an ideology or philosophy that is not of God that you're allowing to block or taint your view of God? Perhaps it's something from your family of origin or your culture of origin? Lastly, if you don't know Jesus, you can begin following him today. And for others, you can also be brought to Jesus. Remember at the beginning of this story, it was a crowd, it was uh, the blind man's family or friends, they brought him to, to be healed by Jesus. Where do you find yourself in these stories? Are you in the crowd pursuing Jesus to know who he is through his teachings and miracles? Are you one of the disciples already called by Jesus to follow him? Are you one of the Pharisees struggling to let go of long-held traditions and beliefs which are blocking you from knowing Jesus? You may be someone in a group like that, and I just want to ask that we each, with, with much humility, consider where we are in our discipleship of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Mark to record it and put these stories together for us so that we may see and hear, that we may understand. Father, open our eyes and open our ears that we may see and hear you. May we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit that is speaking to us. Dear God, we submit ourselves to your guidance and may we know you more and more each day. I pray this in Jesus' name.